welcome to First Things First, the weekly podcast where we talk about God, faith, and life in Shallow Water, Texas. Our podcast is a production of First Shallow Water, and you can find more information about our church by clicking on the link in the description of this episode. Thanks for joining us. Here's our pastor, Brad Miles. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the First Things First podcast. Uh, Each week we have really interesting and exciting guests that we get to kind of sit down and talk to about life and uh, about all of the awesome things that the Lord does in our lives. This week is going to be a little bit different. Uh, my good friend Aaron Lass is joining us on uh, on the podcast this week. Aaron is a is a, 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 an Emdria certified EMDR therapist. She's a she's a uh, a clinical social worker, and uh, her practice is Waypoints Counseling in uh, Plainview, Texas. And we're going to have a link uh, to to her her counseling practice in the show notes. Uh, because uh, because you may want to reach out to her uh, after this. Some some folks may may uh, may want to reach out to her about the things that we're talking about today. And let me just go ahead and say up front why I've asked you to come on, Aaron, and and, and let our our audience know. Um, you know, we this Sunday uh, in church we've talked about some some we have been this whole series actually talking about some really some really big things. Those those episodes in our lives. Those those moments in our lives where it feel where it feels like life just kind of turns the lights out on us and and we're groping around and we don't know the way forward and um, and we're kind of struggling through all that. We all have these moments. And so the awesome thing is that our Savior Jesus experienced a lot of those things, a lot of the same things that we experience that make us feel like we're lost in the dark. Jesus went through them. And particularly in those last hours, right before, right before he was crucified, he went through a lot of those things. And so... Um, so this this Sunday we've talked about abuse, and we've talked about what uh, we've talked about. You know how that experience really can can throw us into the dark and uh, and can make us feel really lost, anxious. And so I, I wanted for you to come on, Aaron, because I, I wanted to talk to a professional <laughs> about this, you know, uh, and uh, you know, and get some get some input from somebody who deals with with this kind of thing on a daily basis, and folks who are going through trauma, folks who are dealing with, you know, past trauma. And so, uh, so I wanted to ask you to come on and, and do that. And so I'm really, really grateful that that uh, that you've joined us on on the podcast today. And I'd love it. Would you just Maybe introduce yourself a little bit. Tell tell our our audience a little bit more about about yourself and about your family and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So first, let me just say thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and to share um, a lot of this information that I know and the things that I love to do every day um, with your listeners. So thanks for inviting me on here. It's an honor. Um. So my name is Erin. Yep. And um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am an EMDR therapist. Um. I deal with trauma all day, every day. Um, but before all of that, I'm a wife. That's right. I'm a mom. Um, I am a friend. I'm a veteran. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a therapist. And finally, but definitely not lastly, I'm a lover of Jesus. Mm. And um, and I feel like where I'm at right now, doing the work that I do has been divinely led and divinely, I'm divinely placed here and I get confirmation all the time. And when I see people come in and I know that there's something I can do to help people feel better, live out their best lives and feel like their best selves and walk out of my office different than they came in. That's all the reward that I need. And so it's, it's such a blessing to do the work that I do. And so I'm super thankful for that. 
So, okay, I, a couple of questions uh, that came yeah. up as you were as you were talking about that. So, um, the first thing is you, you mentioned that you're a veteran. So, would, you want to can you talk about like your service and and what branch of the military you were in and all that kind of stuff? Maybe what that taught you and how that shaped you as you went into this career. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was in active duty in the United States Army for five years, and then I spent 17 months in reserve after that. Um, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my life, and I would never want to do it again. That is done and over with, <laughs> but, but I have no regrets about doing it. Um, yeah. I grew up, I had to learn a lot of things about myself and other people, about the world, about mm. other cultures. I mean, it was culture shock for me coming from little bitty old Leveland, Texas right. to the great old United States Army where people from all over the country and all over the world really yeah. um, kind of came together. So <clears throat> there was a lot of hard times. I was deployed um, to both Honduras and Iraq, but I don't like to like put that out there super a lot because I know that there are people who have experienced worse things than I did. But the point of that being is that there's a lot that I can relate to when people come into my office with horror stories or with even other veterans who can come in and say, I can speak that language. Right. You know, maybe I, I wasn't in the same situation that you were, but I can speak the language and I know what you're talking about. Sure. Um, and I think that that's, I think God has used that in big ways too. Yeah. That I can handle big stuff. People can come into my office and unload and it's not too much for me. I don't freak out. I can yeah. handle that, you know? Um, and that's a big thing too. People need to feel like there's space for that yeah. and, and those kinds of experiences. Well, so. that's an important thing maybe just for us to say right at the outset here is that that you deal with with trauma on a daily basis in your in your profession. Um but but you also deal you also you know, you know a little bit about that because you've experienced that stuff in your life, you know, mm -hmm. so, which, you know, which is meaningful and I think helpful too. So maybe along those lines, what was it that really, that really led you to counseling, you know, as a profession? Like how did the Lord kind of guide you to, to that? Is there a story behind that or what does that look like for you? Yeah. So it, the story started, of, of course, while I was in the army mm -hmm. um, and in deployment to Honduras, um, part of our mission there was humanitarian. And so we would go and visit all of these orphanages and wow. we would bring fresh water. And I mean, they didn't have running water in these orphanages. Wow. Like it's, it, it's really heartbreaking. Um, but over the course of that deployment, I was there for a year and, you know, you develop relationships with these kids and with the people that work there and with uh, uh, many of the local folks. And I just felt like um, there's gotta be a better way there's a, there's a lot of things that were wrong and corrupt and backwards and people weren't getting cared for and would just get kind of forgotten. And right. there was just a lot of things that happened that really broke my heart. Yeah. And so um, I got back and I finished. Well, and then I went to Iraq yeah. <laughs> unexpectedly. I wasn't supposed to have to go, but they said, well, you're not getting out when you get to go to Iraq. So great. Have fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so then I did all of that. And then I got out and I went back to school and finished up um, my undergrad. And then I knew that I wanted to be a social worker. I just didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. Sure. Um, and so I finished up my bachelor's, went to get my master's in social work. And, and I took a clinical track on purpose because I thought, well, even if I don't do therapy and I do other things, at least I'll have that knowledge background in whatever it is that I do. Right. But things just kind of landed at my feet 
in terms of opportunity. Mm. And the first clinical position I got, I learned so much and my supervisor was amazing and encouraging and helpful and taught me so much. And, and now it's kind of like, I can't really see myself doing anything else. Yeah. Um, and you know, and the things that happen within a therapeutic relationship can be pretty darn amazing. Right. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and that's, I think that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I, I love to hear stories about how people, how God kind of divinely led people to where he wanted them, you know, in their lives. And, and that looks different, you know, for everybody, which is one of the reasons why I love hearing the stories, you know, because, because it's always different and it's always some kind of, a, you know, yeah. an interesting tale. And sometimes it, you know, sometimes in the course of your life, you have two or three of those different things that the Lord kind of calls you to. So, uh, which is awesome, but thanks for sharing that. And thanks for your service too. So of course I've known you for a while. So I know that I've known that, that you were a vet, but, uh, but I, maybe that's a, Maybe that's not a uh, uh, normal, maybe, or a common, but maybe that's a better word. Maybe it's not a common combination of things, right? I'm a licensed social worker and a, and a vet, you know, uh, of the U.S. Army. So maybe that's not a, you know, so I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, maybe, well, there's, maybe there's other unicorns out there, but I, don't, I can't really imagine. So I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're one of a kind, Aaron Last. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, I like that. I can, I can own that. All right. <laughs> So, um, okay, so let's just, if, if we could, let's just get into the, the topic here in my, and, and maybe this is the best way to, to you know, to kind of get into this conversation. In the, I, t- I tell a story, I told a story in the, in the intro to the message on Sunday, where basically I talked about being, sitting in a movie, um, and, and it's fried green tomatoes, which, you know, a lot of people have seen, you know, really, really popular movie. But there's a scene in the movie, the movie, uh, a central plot line of the movie is domestic abuse, you know. And so there's a scene in the movie where um, where the camera kind of focuses in on this guy's eyes, his face. And uh, it's right after the moment that he's shoved his wife down the stairs, you know. And the camera kind of mm. zooms in on his eyes. And so I was in college and I'm I'm sitting in the audience. It was at, it was at Mims Auditorium at Howard Payne University. You know, I was college you know, college sophomore, and I was just sitting in the in the theater watching the movie, just like everybody else. You know, it's a really great movie, and it's funny, and there's a lot of you know, it's touching, a lot of good things. But man, when when that scene happened, so I'm just sitting there watching the movie, and the camera zoomed in on this guy's eyes, and really before I knew what was happening, I was uh, I was, you know, sobbing and crying, and I was shaking, and. You know, I wish, maybe maybe in hindsight, after a lot of years, I could tell you some of the things that I was feeling, maybe like I was uh, really afraid, and I was really, um, you know, I don't know, gosh, I can't even describe it. I was really sad and afraid, and um, and over, but really I was overcome with so many emotions that I, I couldn't even parse it out at the moment. I, I mean, I was... I was a mess, you know, and you know, when you're a 20 year old college student, like you don't need a whole row of people seeing that you're, that you've just lost your junk right there on the, you know, exactly. so like I'm trying to, I have to, I'm in the middle of the aisle. I have to step over everybody to get out and, and, and walk out. And Aaron, I didn't, I had no idea what had just happened. Like I had no idea why I was feeling all of that stuff, you know, uh, after, after a lot of, 
<laughs> and really years of, of thinking about that moment. Um, it, it wasn't very long after that that I, that I figured out that, that part of it was my own history. You know, my, mm-hmm. my mom w- was married. Uh, her second marriage was to a man who was, who was physically abusive to her. And, uh, and I, I, saw, uh, I saw him hurt her uh, on, on multiple different occasions. Um, and, and also, you know, to a way lesser extent, physically abusive to me, a couple of incidents that I remember at the most where, you know, where I felt in danger, you know, but, um, but the best I could tell, right, that there, there was this moment that had in that movie that had recalled something for me that I had never really processed or dealt with. And so it all just came blowing up out of me in an instant, you know? So, um, Am I crazy? Like, is, <laughs> is, that a, is that a normal thing? You know, like, uh, uh, why did I do that? Why did I feel that way? What was, you know, what was going on? So the first thing I want to say is your brain was doing what brains do. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so you're saying I have yeah. a normal brain, I feel like is what you're saying. You have a normal brain and okay. you had a normal response to something. So let me, let me back up a minute and kind of give you the explanation of brain function and what happens when trauma occurs and what our brains do in response to that. Um, Because I think that that will help us really understand the bigger picture better. Um, So our brains store memories in what I like to call categorical webs. Yeah. So I may have a whole bunch of memories that are about elementary school Mm -hmm. in one web. I might have a whole lot of memories that are about family or other kinds of relationships in another web, so on and so forth. Okay. And, but so we go along and we form these memories and they're, and our brain is categorizing these in webs. We go on and then all of a sudden something scary or confusing happens. That's not like any of the rest of that. And in that moment, our brain says, whoop, that's not like any of these webs. Mm. We've got to create a new one. Okay. So we create a new web and that incident that created that new web in EMDR language, we call that the touchstone memory. Okay. And the reason that that's important is because as we move along into treatment, we want to target that memory because it's, it is now connected to a whole bunch of things that your brain has says, Oh, that's like that thing. Yeah. Okay. Does this make sense? Yeah. So now after that touchstone memory occurred, anything moving forward that looks like, sounds like, smells like, feels like, tastes like that thing, your brain says, whoop, that's like that one. And it's, categorizes it into that web, right? So you go through time and if, and if someone, for example, has a childhood incident that was very traumatic for them and it was never processed properly, either during or right after, or a while after you end up with a accumulation of traumatic memories because they're related by some minute detail. Right. So they in and of themselves might not have been traumatic, but because they're, because of what's happened, they're connected to this traumatic thing. By some small details. Yeah. So, so wow. in your example, kind of like you explained, you're sitting here watching this movie and you saw the look in those eyes and it was the same thing that you saw right back then in the past when it happened and your brain says, whoop, that's just like that. And now I've got to do something. I'm not safe. So yeah. then our brain goes into fight, flight or flight mode. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. So then when we talk about, um, um, kind of treatment, then we kind of go and 
we have our ways of identifying what is that, that touchstone memory so that we can clear the whole entire web of right. memory so that they can be reprocessed, desensitized, and filed where they're supposed to be. Okay. And we don't have the same traumatic response whenever we are reminded of that incident. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, probably in my life, because, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a lot older than 20. So, uh, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had a lot of years to kind of work my way through all of this, you know, and I don't, I don't have those responses that much anymore. But, you know, you know, all of that occurred whenever I was a, a kid, you know, I was really young. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I was like pre-K age. And, uh, but I, but I remember dealing in my early twenties with a lot of that. Uh, I mean, a lot of this uncontrolled stuff. And, um, so, you know, so anyway, I, I, I kind of feel like my, myself and I never really got counseling for any of this. So, uh, but, but I feel like myself, like, you know, what I think now is that when I was a kid, like you said, I couldn't, I didn't have a place to put any of that stuff. And so I just kind of put it someplace and kind of buried it away. But then in my twenties, mm-hmm. you know, my brain was more capable of being able to, you know, to handle those kinds of things, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. would have been capable of looking at those experiences and dealing with them. And, and then all of a sudden my brain was attaching all this other stuff to that. And I was freaking out, you know, I would have, you know, panic attacks or, you know, whatever else it was, you know, well, and the other piece of this is that there's a very strong mind-body connection through what's right. called the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. right? Your brain sends messages to your body that say, hey, there's something wrong. We got to get out of here. Yeah, And that's yeah. why your adrenaline races. That's why you get butterflies in your stomach when you get anxious. That's why your body moves, right? Because mm-hmm. of this connection. And so sometimes our body will tell us that there's something wrong before we even realize we do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because of some stimulus that's coming in. Right. right. You didn't know what the heck was going on. You just saw the look in this dude's eyes and you're freaking out and you're like, oh, what, uh, what's going on here? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I can tell you there was another time where we were, Amy and I were walking through the mall right at the same time frame, And, uh, and out of the corner of my eye, there was this couple and they were joking with each other. And, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw him like he was pretending to hit her. Like he was, you know, messing around like you, you did, you know, he's pretending to hit her. And I just saw that out of the corner of my eye, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, it was just this really strong, like, I mean, I started crying, like I was, and I was angry mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, and Amy was like, what is going on with you? You know, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me. So, I, but I really, I yeah, I felt like the, I felt like the wheels were coming off. Like I felt like, you know, there, what, what, what was scary to me, you know, in the moment was that. I was, these, these emotions would just take me over. Like they would, they would just, uh, I felt not in control, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I would, I felt completely out of control. And so there's brain function reason for that. So let me explain this because this is, again, this is what brains do. Yeah. And when we talk about brain function, it takes out this idea that there's something wrong with me, that I'm doing something wrong or that I'm messed up. Right. Okay. Okay. So if we think about the brain, and, and this is, listen, I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't claim to be. So my explanation of this brain function is very simplistic. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you have any brain like neurosurgeon people in your audience or your congregation, please just tell them to take this with a grain of salt. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you guys heard that, right? Neuroscientists out there, take yeah. it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt. So there's a couple of things. Um, there's the amygdala in our brain. The amygdala is kind of like... Um, the alarm system. 
Mm. It's what tells our brain that there's something wrong and that we need to do something about that. Yeah. And so then the amygdala sends the messages to the rest of your body that there's got to be, that you got to move, you got to do something, fight, flight, or fright. One of those, right? Fight, right. flight, or freeze. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, freeze. Yeah. I've um, done that before. And so, too. of course. And, and you're in, you're in a survival mode right then and there, because mm-hmm. when it first happened, you really were in a survival mode. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so nothing was working the way that it needed to. Well, I mean, it did because it got you to survive, right. but you couldn't think about that. You, this part of your brain where the executive functioning rests was not online in the moment Yeah. yeah. because you were in fight, flight or fright right. or freeze. Make sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what happens is like the amygdala, there's the amygdala, which is the um, alarm center. And then there's the hippocampus. And I like to call it the time teller. Okay. Generally for things that are not traumatic and I have a memory about something and then I'm reminded of it, the amygdala and the hippocampus are connected by a bridge. And that hippocampus says to the amygdala, Hey, that was then. It was a long time ago. Yeah. That was a long time ago. That's not happening anymore. Remember? And mm-hmm. the maybe like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And we can calm down. Yeah. Okay. But when trauma happens, that bridge gets broken. And so even though the hippocampus may be over here saying, hey, that's not now, man. Remember, yeah. that was in the past. That was 30 years ago. Your amygdala can't get that message. Mm. And so it's still sending out the signals to the rest of your body. Hey, we got to get out of here. We got to do something. We got to move. Right. Because it feels, yeah, it feels immediate. It's, uh, yes, your brain is telling you, you are in danger right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we got to get out of here. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Right. And so through treatment, Mm -hmm. the short of it is that we bridge that gap between the amygdala and the hippocampus so that they can talk and communicate again. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a whole lot of, that makes a whole lot of sense with my experience. So, and I, you know, I remember, you know, I know the, uh, I know what my touchstone memories, you know, are like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't close my eyes and see them. I can't, really can't remember anything from that time in my life, but I can't remember those, you know, two, yes. two specific incidents, you know, where, um, where, you know, that, that I remember really well. And, uh, and, and yeah, you're right. Like anything that, anything that would even remotely remind me of that, you know, especially during that time of my life when I was in my early twenties, really would, it would just take over. Like I, I was totally uh-huh. out of control, you know? Yeah, so, for sure. So, so, you know, let's talk about this then if, if it's okay, let's, I'm going to, you know, we didn't script this uh, audience, so we don't <laughs> we don't know we don't know what we're doing. So, we're just having a conversation. That's right. So you may you may tell me, hey, we probably shouldn't talk about that, and that'd be fine with me. But um, but like but but let me let me share a little bit about the the memory that I have, right? You know, and then and maybe we can just kind of talk through. You can kind of talk through. Okay, well, you know, here's here's what here's what here's what that did to you, or here's you know what I mean. We can kind of talk through what a I'd like, cause I was a child. So, and I think, I feel like there are a lot of people that are listening who they mm-hmm. may, the trauma that they experienced probably like me, it probably happened to them, you know, years ago, maybe even when they were a child. And so, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about how the child's brain kind of receives and processes this and what that looks like. Is that, is that okay to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So for like for me, and I, I've, I've told this story a couple of times, not, not very, this is probably the biggest audience that would ever have heard it, you know? Um, but, but for me, you know, 
I remember, I remember my my mom making you know her husband at the time uh, angry about something. I don't remember what it was, um, but he he told her that she was in trouble and that he, you know that she was going to have to be punished. And so he went to the kitchen and we had this cutting board that hung on the wall. You know, the thing, you know, the thing that you cut meat on and vegetables on or whatever else, you know, and it had had a handle on it and it hung. I can remember Mm -hmm. every detail. It had all these little vegetables and stuff on it. Like I can remember like painted on it, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he took that thing off of the wall and, and he, and he just, he just beat my mom with it, you know? And so I remember being, you know, just a little kid and I was, and I was watching, like, I didn't know what to do with that. I remember I, I grabbed my uh, beanbag and I pulled it to the door of my room and I sat in my room and I'm, I sat in the doorway of the room and I was watching. And I don't really know why. But I remember he looked over at me in the middle of this and he told me, you know, told me that my mom had been bad and that when we were bad, we had to get spankings, you know, and he was spanking her. And then he just kind of went right back to it, you know, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't have any idea, like years later, maybe looking back on it, I think, I think maybe I have some feelings, like, you know, like years later, I looked back on it, and I thought to myself, I want to kill that guy, you know, if I could get my hands on him, you know, I would kill him, I mean, even as a preteen or as a teenager, you know, Sure. Um, but I don't, I don't remember, I don't know what was going through my head at the time when I was a kid. Like, I don't know why I did the things I did. I don't know why, I don't know why I felt like I had to sit there and watch all of that, you know, or why I wanted to. You know, do you understand what I mean? Like, I don't know. So I feel like as a child, like I didn't know what to do. And, um, and maybe that's what happens to kids. I don't, you know, I don't know. Can you, can you explain that? Talk through that some? So first, I'm so sorry that you had that experience. It breaks my heart. But I think that, first of all, um, first of all, you didn't know what was going on. This is the first time you've ever seen anything like that happen. And it was a shock, right? That's for one. And for two, you recognized that you were not safe and your brain told you that. And so you, it sounds like you went into freeze, which yeah. is hypo arousal, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm shutting down. I'm not moving because if I move, he might come after me. Mm-hmm. Maybe, right? And you're seeing this happen to this person that you love. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard enough as a grown up to watch something happen to someone that you love that is not good. Right. That's hard enough. But then as a child, when you don't even understand why that would be, and then to get an excuse like that coming back at you, right? Right, right. Wait, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) What do you mean? What? (laughs) Yeah. But here's the other piece of this is that, um, if there was never a conversation about that afterward, if there was never anybody that came to you and said, Hey, Brad, that was not your fault. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have said that to you. He shouldn't have done that to me. None of that was your fault. If nobody ever came and said that to you, it is really easy. And almost always when children experience something like that and they don't get an explanation, they almost always blame themselves. And so from that point forward, there are 
there's meaning that develops about themselves, about the world around them, about other people. All men are bad. Everybody, everybody beats everybody. I'm not safe no matter what. I must be a failure because I couldn't go in and help. I couldn't do anything. I'm worthless because I couldn't stop it. There are all of these things that develop over time as a result. Mm-hmm. And until that's corrected or even addressed, that will continue. And so it's not just about a movie scene reminding you about that moment. It can be about an interaction, a completely harmless interaction where somebody says something about feeling like they're worthless, even mm-hmm. if it's a joke. And it's triggering to that person who experienced that thing like, oh, crap, mm-hmm. I'm worthless too. Right. And for some people, they don't even have the insight because there's been so much trauma or so much neglect or so much abuse that that just becomes the norm. And so then in adulthood, there's not even an identification that there's a touchstone memory to have been had. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I get, yeah, I can see that. I, I didn't really... So, I mean, this is going to sound stupid, right? But really, no. It, it really wasn't until this, that moment right there. <laughs> so, because you said, uh, you said that sometimes people feel like I'm a failure because I couldn't do anything to stop it. So, and as soon as you started to say that, like, as soon as you said that, like, I started to get, you know, emotional. Yeah. I never, I never put those two things together until just, Today, I was today years old when I realized that that's how I was feeling, right? At that moment, like that, that I didn't, I feel like a failure because I didn't know what to do to stop it. And I didn't have any, I couldn't, I couldn't couldn't. control it, you know? And, uh, and I can really, boy, yeah, I can see too how that, that feeling in me really hung on for years and years and years, you know? And it translates into everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And, uh, and I think had some, you know, uh, impact, you know, gosh, it's, yeah, probably had impact in every part of my life. My, you know, my, my, uh, careers, my marriage, you know, probably everything. So, so, uh, if, so there's, there's probably a person who's listening to this podcast who they've had something happen to them and, and, or, or they witness something kind of like what what I witnessed, and let, and maybe we should say this too, Aaron. Like, I don't know why when we talk about this kind of stuff, the tendency is always to compare it. You know, well, like, well, mine wasn't Absolutely. nearly <laughs> what I experienced wasn't nearly that bad, so I shouldn't be. You know, <laughs> well, and I did that. I did the same thing in my introduction. Like, yeah, I've been to Iraq, but my experience is not anything like what some others are. <laughs> Because we all do it, we all do it. But but uh, but I think uh, and this like this is just me, you know, just thinking. Uh, but but it feels to me like maybe that's not the healthiest way to come at it because our feelings are just feelings. Is that fair? I mean, is that that's absolutely accurate? Feelings are just feelings. They're not good, bad. Mm-hmm. They're not right or wrong. They just are. They right. don't define anything. They're just an experience that we have because feelings change. They wax and they wane. They come and they go. They, sure. All of that stuff. Um, and I think that what, what might be traumatic for me might not be traumatic for you. Sure. I mean, you and I can be driving in the same car and get in an accident mm-hmm. and I can walk out of that car and say, I don't ever want to sit in another car again in my life. Right. And you may say like, why it's fine. It yeah. was just an accident. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. Right. 
right? But we're all wired a little different and we all have different ways and means and levels of resiliency Mm. that, that go into how we're, how we respond to those incidents. Yeah. So, so all that to say, yeah, my experience in Iraq, sure. There was a lot of traumatic moments that I had, but I might've been in the same situation with some of my soldiers who that wasn't really traumatic for them. Yeah. That's a possibility. Right. Yeah. So I think it is important that what your trauma is may not be trauma to someone else. Mm. And it also doesn't have to be as dramatic as combat or a car accident exactly. or witnessing or in being involved in domestic violence. It could be something very, very much smaller in scale, mm. but if it impacts you and it's scary and it's confusing and you can't make sense of it, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, kind of the definition of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, so there's two things that I think, you know, that we do. So when we compare, because one mm-hmm. thing is, you know, gosh, there's people who've been through way worse than me and look at them, you know, they seem like they're doing fine. So what's wrong with me? Like I'm some kind of, you know, uh, broken or messed up person that I can't even get through this, you know, this issue. And so then we kind of put shame and condemnation on ourselves, you know, that's exactly right. And I I think, and that's not what Jesus is about. No, that's right. There's (laughs) Romans. There is now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Right. So that's the truth. That's right. Um, but the other thing that sometimes maybe we do is we, we, we do what the other thing that you described is when I look at someone who's going through something, we're like, what's wrong with you? You know, with, without realizing the impact of that um, reaction or those words, what's wrong with you? Why, why can't you just get through this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so talk, maybe, maybe if you could talk a little bit about talk from the perspective of like, so I'm a person and maybe I know someone who is showing well, let's let's back up. What what are the symptoms that someone would um, would exhibit if they had experienced trauma, or there there had been trauma in their past, or they're going through something right now? Like, what, mm-hmm. what should we be looking for if we're looking for a person who probably needs some some help? So the first thing um, is identifying that there has been exposure in one way or another. Right. to a traumatic event, whether okay. I witnessed it, I was a part of it. I did it. Right. I yeah. was a victim of it, yeah. whatever the case, that's the first piece. But then the second piece is that there's intrusion about that, that I, that I keep having these dreams or memories that I don't want to have that keep coming mm. up and I'm trying to push that out. I don't want to think about that stuff. anymore. That's called intrusion. Okay. okay. So that would be going on. Um, there might even be like, um, they call it, they call them flashbacks. Yes. probably mm-hmm. have heard that right. Where all of a sudden I'm like back in that moment again, Yeah, it's happening again. Yeah. Right. So that's that reminder of the touchstone memory that we talked about before. You might see some of that. The other piece is avoidance. I don't want to do anything that even remotely looks like going to see fried green tomatoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody is even remotely looking like they've got a mean bone in their body, I'm out. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Significant avoidance, either of thoughts, the internal stimulus or external, either one. Yeah. There might be avoidance going on. Another piece is that there's um, what we say negative alterations in cognition and mood, which really just means that the way I think and the way that I feel are negative all the time. It's really hard for me to feel positive emotions. It's really easy for me to not trust anyone yeah. that I have these very blanket beliefs about 
myself. I'm bad. I'm guilty. I'm worthless. Mm. Everyone else is trash. I can't trust anyone. The world is an awful place to be, right? That we live our lives based on these kinds of ideas and moods. Um, And then the last part of this is more along the lines of what you might see in someone with severe anxiety. None of these would have to be severe, but um, you know, I'm really reactive to things. (laughs) Maybe I'm irritable all the time. It doesn't take much to set me off. I'm on edge a lot. I might be reckless and doing self-destructive things. Like I might be going and using drugs every day because I don't know how else to cope. Right. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. I can't get these thoughts out of my head. I can't get away from the stimulus. I can't avoid it. Mm. So I'm just going to go and get high or I'm going to go drink, you know, or something. Yeah. Those kinds of things may be happening. There might be hypervigilance. You're constantly aware, you know, you've probably heard the stories of veterans who sit in restaurants and they will not sit with their back towards the door. Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's hypervigilance. Uh One aspect of that. Okay. Um, Maybe they startle really easy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. You scared me. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's hard to concentrate. Right. I'm distracted really easy because I've got all of these things coming in my head. I might have problems with sleep you know, nightmares. I can't sleep. I sleep too much. I go to sleep. I can't stay asleep. A lot of these things are what we see Mm. when we're looking at PTSD. Right. Okay. Now, what I want to just say as a disclaimer is that just because you've experienced something traumatic does not mean that you have PTSD. Sure. But you can have a traumatic response to an incident that may not be meet the quote unquote criteria of that diagnosis, but you still can have a traumatic response Mm. somatically in your body and emotionally and mentally, even if that event was not one of those big, dramatic, horrible things. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of what you were talking about earlier. These other things that just have some kind of detail in connection with it will can, can trigger that. Yeah. That's, that's good. I, uh, you know, I remember, I remember too, like, uh, just, ha- I mean, sometimes just being really angry and not knowing why, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, so I, yeah, I, I can, I can, I think I, I can identify with, <laughs> with, with some of that. Cause I, I definitely, definitely been through that. Uh, also maybe for, for some of our listeners out there, you or someone that you know, you know, maybe, maybe dealing with addiction. And one of the things that happens when we are dealing mm-hmm. with people who are struggling with addiction is we are like, well, you know, stop, you know? <laughs> so if only it was that easy, right? But, you know, uh, Oh, dr- if only <laughs> yeah, drugs, and, drugs and alcohol, you know, rewire our brains in a lot of ways. That's but, right. but, but for a lot of people though, Aaron, and you touched on this for a lot of people, you know, the, the, the use of those substances is a, a way of coping and it's, uh, it's right. self self-medicating for, you know, for in, in some way. And, and, and really overcoming that addiction is impossible until we get to what this root issue that's been causing the trauma, the trauma, you know, the trauma that's been causing all this stuff that makes you feel like you've got to go do that. You know, I'm so glad that you said that because almost always, and and there are the, there are the exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, and especially in my experience, I've not yet to see someone who is addicted to some kind of substance who doesn't have some sort of trauma history. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say that because there's so much stigma about, substance use and people who abuse alcohol or, or drugs of any kind, whether it's marijuana or heroin, you know, there's a reason why that started in the first place. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't helpful, it wouldn't be addictive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm just saying 
well, yeah, they're addicted to it because it made them feel better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can have whatever opinion you want of that, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. And it may not may, may have only made him feel better for a, a little while, and then the ramifications of it on the other side are way worse. But they, but and it doesn't but that matter. Few moments of, yeah. of relief is mm-hmm. worth it all to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when you've been when you've been exposed to some really hefty trauma, especially, you know, there's there's a population of people that um, kind of are like they have a very complex picture. It's been trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. And if you can imagine, you know, seeing what you saw once or twice on a multiple, you know, several times a day basis for your whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Who wouldn't turn to something that could make them feel better? Sure. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's human behavior. Yeah. So I'm not condoning drug use by no. any means or any stretch, but what I'm saying is I hope that we begin to grow out of that stigmatizing mm-hmm. attitude and 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 perspective that there's a reason why that's happening. And yes, addiction is ugly. And yes, it messes up people's families. And yes, there are all of these things that come with it. But man, it's an awful disease. Yeah. It really is. And, 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 and healing from it requires healing in a whole bunch of other ways too, you know? So having, you can't just go to rehab for 30 days and call it good. No, gosh, <laughs> no. That, you know, I remember uh, being a part of Celebrate Recovery at uh, the church that I was serving at in, in Tulsa. And that was a really wonderful experience for me. I had a, you know, uh, it was really, really powerful, meaningful experience, but the 12 steps are I mean, there's a lot of what they're what the twelve steps when they're when you do them the right way. What they're directing you to do is they're directing you to drill down and figure out, you know, where is this all coming from? You know, what is it that's what is it that's going on inside of me that makes me feel like I have to do this? And and all the steps are about that. You know, but then you've got to take it a step further. Yeah. If you know what that is, now what? Right. We got to do something about that. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this is a segue into that, into that portion of our conversation. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So, so now like you, you said, I know what my touchstone is. Mm -hmm. In fact, I know what they both are. (laughs) So now we go in there and for me, I use EMDR therapy. It works. It is amazing. It doesn't take as long as talk therapy. Typically it's just amazing. And I can talk about more about how it works in a little bit if you want, but now we've got to take those things that we know what contributed to it. Yeah. We've got to address that. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that is enough of a re-traumatization if we're not careful. Right. And this is the beauty of EMDR because I can say, hey, let's figure out where this is coming from. We figure out where it's coming from. And I say, guess what? You don't have to tell me all about that. You don't have to. Yeah we're just going to do some work and we're going to apply a mechanism to help that material reprocess and get put away. And yeah, it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel like I'm pouring peroxide on a really open gashed wound. It's going to hurt. Yeah. But it's not going to hurt forever because we're in the process of healing that. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's going to be a scar and I can look at that scar and I can touch it and I can say, man, I remember when that happened, Right. that hurt so bad. I've never experienced anything worse, but I can touch the star and I'm not feeling what it felt that day. Yeah, absolutely. And so psychologically we're doing, we're in the same process. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's what, that's kind of what healing looks like. You know, you, you, there is Mm -hmm. a, there's a mark there, but, but it doesn't hurt like it did when you got it, you know? So, 
it becomes just a part of our story. Yeah. It's not the story. Right. It's a part of it. So, okay. So EMDR. So yeah, it'd be good for you because this, this is your primary treatment method when you're dealing with, with tra- traumatic, traumatic events, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, please don't even try to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. But when they ask, I tell them, so I'm telling you. Right. Um, and so one of the theories of how it works is that when you are in the REM phase of sleep, right? Mm-hmm. REM rapid eye movement, you're sleeping, your eyes are moving rapidly back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And what's happening in that process is that your brain is taking all of the information from that day, integrating it into memory so mm-hmm. that when you wake up in the morning, it doesn't still feel like it's yesterday. Yes. Right. Right. Thank God that that happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to, Joy comes in the morning. Praise right. the Lord. It'd be like uh, Groundhog Day, you know, where you're living yes, the same. Yes, it would yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that, um, what we call bilateral stimulation of the back and forth eye movements. And we use different modes too, tapping and we have little buzzies for tactile and we can also use audio. But the idea is that that's bilateral stimulation, that that is the mechanism that activates the processing system in the brain Mm. to be able to reprocess that negative material that's stuck in the amygdala, Mm -hmm. file it away in those webs that it needs to be in and thus take out that emotional charge so that I can go back and look at that event and be like, Oh yeah, that happened. That sucked, but I'm okay now. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the short story of how that works. Mm. And, and I think it's also important to note for someone who might be considering that or feel like they need that. It can be a very scary thing to think I've got to go and face this stuff. Right. But what I want you to know is that for someone who does EMDR properly, there is a period of preparation for that because it would be completely and completely irresponsible and unethical for me to say, Hey, yeah, there's this big old yucky pool of muck and you have to go swim in the deep end. So go ahead and jump in and I'll be over here from when you're ready to get out. Right. Yeah. Right. That would be horrible. Yeah. So, so my job is I've got to teach you how to swim in that one little toe at a time so that you can build up your ability to tolerate that negative material and, and reprocess it successfully. Yeah. So there is that, this we front load this process with a whole lot of resourcing and preparation and building up of internal resources and allies that no matter what happens on the outside, uh, outside of us, that we still have adequate resourcing on the inside to tolerate distress. Right. Hmm. That's good. It's fascinating. You know, the, I mean, a, a lot of that stuff that you just said is all stuff that, you know, we intuitively know these are things that have to happen. But the connection with the the physical, with the eye movement or with the bilateral, you know, stuff, that's what's so fascinating to me. It just, you know, that sounds like, you know, crazy. I can't, I can't imagine, you know, that working, but it makes a whole lot of sense. And you've seen it work over and over again in your practice. Over and over and over and over and over on a daily basis, every day, day in and day out. And I've had people that are like, wait, what is this voodoo stuff you're doing? Yeah. I'm like, it's not voodoo, I swear. <laughs> I'm not one of those kind of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but that's awesome. And so, so I think you know the advice that you're given here is you know so you 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 identify that there's some behaviors that are going on in your life and, and that are destructive or whatever else you know, um, and and so you kind of 
realize, okay, there's clearly there's something that's going on inside of me. There's some kind of a, you know, something that's inspiring, that's moving me to act this way. And so, so then you, you do the hard work with a professional probably of getting back, finding out what those touchstone memories are. Some people probably know them, you know, because they, they probably know what they are. Yeah. So, um, so, but once you kind of identified that, then with the help of a professional, then you're trying to like reprocess all of that and kind of, and, and, and work through it. And, and the EMDR way that you've described is one way that people might use to, mm-hmm. to do that, to put everything back in its right web, like you sure, described. Sure. That is one way. That is mm-hmm. just one way. There are other methods um, of therapy that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I'm only biased because I've seen the difference. I have done trauma-focused CBT work where it's really um, kind of about rewriting the narrative. Right. Yeah. But really, um, the beauty of this work is that we can take any other kind of modality and insert that into the EMDR framework and still have excellent results. So right. there's a lot of times that we do parts work or we have conversations with that wounded part of ourselves where mm we can repair those moments and give that younger part or older part or wounded part what it didn't have then so yeah. that now can be different. There's a whole lot of things that happen within that process that um, can be things like cognitive behavioral or dialectical behavior or trauma-focused CBT or um, internal family systems. There's all kinds of things that we can use that really can easily go into that EMDR framework to contribute to that adaptive processing. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it totally does. Yeah. So, okay. So we, we just, you know, in, the, in our last few minutes together, I want you to do two things. Okay. The first thing is, you know, there's somebody out there that's listening to this podcast that, um, that they never, they'd never even been to counseling and, mm-hmm. um, and they're mm-hmm. really, you know, skeptical. Uh, and maybe if you do, scratch that a little deeper, maybe afraid to go to counseling of any kind. Sure. So, um, you know, give a, give everybody out there a plug for, you know, why should they, why should they seek out the help of a professional? Why can they not try to figure this out, you know, just on their own? Right. So, so what we know about the brain and the things that I've told you before is that you cannot think or talk your way out of trauma. Right. You can't, it's beyond that portion of your brain. Mm. That's number one. And number two, because you deserve to have a life better than that. Yeah. To be able to have healing from past hurts and past experiences that those things, yes, they can be a part of your story, but they don't have to direct where you go from here. Yeah. That's good. Those old experiences don't have to be what's true for you now. And I, what I say all the time to people is now gets to be different. Mm, right. The way your relationships go can be different. The way you respond to people can be different. The way that you respond to memories you have can be different. Yeah. So much about now can be different. That was the old stuff. That was the past. Now can be different. Yeah. So it's hope for a better future. And, and I think, you know, when we think about, this is where I feel the divine placement, right? That to me, it's like, come to me who, who are, who need rest and who are weary. Jesus says that to people. And I right. feel like this is a way to do that. I'm not Jesus, but I know that he has provided me with knowledge and training and education to be able to usher that person to that place. Right. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want that? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, you... And I recognize, I recognize that there are people who, when experiencing something positive or good or, or, or whatever, that that is new and different and may not trust it. Right. May not be comfortable in that. Yeah. Right. And that's part of our work too. And so I just want to acknowledge that too, that sometimes I don't want any of that stuff because every time I've had just a touch of that, it's gotten destroyed. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And there, I think that there, that's very real. And I, I know yeah, uh, I've experienced folks who, you know, have some experience with the folks who they, they, so much in their lives has been so twisted and messed up and broken that like everything's upside down. Like anything good mm-hmm. feels, it's almost like wrong, a, like painful. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't yeah. right. This isn't the way the world works. And, um, and they and they'll, they'll literally run, run away from what is even best for, for them. So, so if you're, if you're listening out there and maybe you identify with some of that, right. Um, first of all, um, you know, healing is what God has for you, you know, so that's what he wants for you. And so, uh, so move toward that. And even if it's painful at first, even if it's scary at first, it's worth it on the other, on the other side. And, and I would say this too, Aaron, and maybe you can relate to this, but I, I know a lot of people who, man, they're, they will, they'll do whatever it takes to be successful in their business, you know, they'll do whatever mm-hmm. it takes to be successful, you know, uh, in their marriage, you know, they'll do whatever it takes to be healthy as an individual, they'll work out or they'll eat or they'll do whatever it is. But when it comes to, when it comes to their mental health, they don't have that same, they, they have, there are the, all these limits. They won't get any help with regard to that, you know? <laughs> and it drives me crazy. Yeah. Like our brain, our brain controls everything. And right. If we have problems with our heart, we go to the cardiologist. If we yes. have a broken arm, we go to the orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. If we have problems breathing, we go to the respiratory person. If we have, like, why would we not take care of our brain the, right. same, the same way that we take care of the rest of our body? It's so important, but there's all of these stereotypes and incorrect assumptions yeah. that, that our society has really done a disservice to mm-hmm. the rest of us with. And yeah. And so I am a hard charger for like, no, your brain is no different than your heart, than your lungs, than your kidneys, than your stomach. Like, right. And they're connected anyway. So come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And, and I would say this too. Like, I think, I feel like, uh, you know, we can't really be who God has called us to be in our lives and our professions and in our families, you know? Um, a lot of the folks that that I deal with here at First Shallow Water, I mean, they they have families that they're trying to take care of, and um, that's why they move to Shallow Water. That's why they come to our church. They love their family and they want the best for their family. But the best the best for your family requires the best of you. So that's right. So God has called you, uniquely equipped you to serve a role and a function in your family and at your job and all these other places. And and if and if and if we're not our best, then we can't. Our family can't have God's best, right? We that's part of God's delivery system to give the, our best, to give His best to our families is through us, right? So, so we have to, you know, we we I, I know people they would they would do whatever they would they would spend whatever to put their kid in some program or whatever whatever they would do to for, to provide for their family or whatever else. But then when it comes to them being healthy, right? From them being emotionally and mentally healthy, that somehow that feels different. Than, you know, than than buying something for their kids or putting them in a program or, or providing something for them. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And, and I think that so much of this has to do with emotions and what do we do with them? Mm -hmm. And just because we have emotions about something does not, is not equivalent to weakness. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's not, Mm -hmm. not at all. We're human. We are sentient beings. We are supposed to feel God Mm -hmm. designed us that way. Right. Right. So to ignore that is to ignore part of God's design. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good word. Well, hopefully, so if you're out there and you're listening, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we've encouraged you that look, counseling is, counseling is important. Uh, you know, uh, on at least one occasion in my life, it's been, it was, you know, transformative for me and, uh, and for, and for my marriage. So, uh, so I know I, I have experience with how, you know, important it is. My family certainly benefited from, from it. And hopefully, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully someone will hear that out there and be like, you know what, I need, I need that kind of help myself. So, um, because I think at some point in our lives, we all do. I don't care, you know, who we are. We, we all, we all need a little bit of, of help walking through whatever it is, processing through whatever it is. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not living on an Island and we're not supposed to. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So last thing as we kind of wrap up, cause we've talked about, you know, a lot of the methods, you know, counseling methods and the things that you do in your profession and all those kinds of things. And you've, you've already addressed this in, in some ways, kind of, uh, more generally speaking, but, but what role does our what role does our faith play in the healing process at, when we're dealing with trauma? What role what role should the Holy Spirit play? You know, I mean, how, how does that work? How does faith work in this whole process of healing and recovering from from trauma? What does that look like? So that's going to look different for every person, right? Yeah, right, because everybody sees their faith a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my experience, I have seen faith play in amazingly a huge part of the recovery, not because in their mind's eye, God swooped in and erased it all. Right. Yeah. Right. Because we're not in the business of erasing memories. Nobody can do that. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. But what we are in the business of is creating resources to come alongside us as we heal. And as we reconcile, or as we try to figure out how do I give that wounded part, what it needed that it didn't have then. Yes. Yeah. And oftentimes Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, disciples come into this kind of work area and make deposits for that person mm. of truth. Right. right? So, yeah. so we might be imagining. So think about that, that little boy that was watching that happen. What did he need that he didn't have then? Yeah. And it might be that in their mind's eye, they're seeing the Holy Spirit come over them and protect them. Mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe they're getting a word of truth, like just, you know, I don't know, whatever that word of truth might be Right. that, that spoke over them or, or maybe it's that sit down conversation between that little boy and Jesus. You imagine that happening in your mind's eye. What would Jesus have said to you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is not your fault. And I love you. Mm-hmm. And I love your mom. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? I love him too. Yeah. Right. There's a whole lot of things that can happen that are just kind of like, whoa, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. But based on the client's desires to do that. Sure. Bring that in to that situation so easily. Yeah. And it can be so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would say, you know, I think, I think about my own journey, you know, <laughs> and I, I really did all of this the hard way. I just want to throw that out there. But 
Um, That's just you, Brad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I was gonna, I was gonna try to make it as complicated as possible, but, but I, but I will say that you know, like. Uh, one of the things that's been really, I don't know, two things have really meant a lot to me in my life with regard to my faith, you know, and what that, Mm -hmm. how that applies, you know, one thing is I am completely flabbergasted to imagine that the God who spoke the cosmos into being actually like subjected himself to all of the same kind of hurt and pain and darkness that I experience in my life. I mean, he actually, even abuse, even feeling unsafe and afraid and my life is threatened, right? All Like, he subjected himself to that. The God who spoke the universe into being subjected himself to all of that for us, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, I, and I believe there's a lot of reasons probably for that, but, but I believe one reason he did it is because we can, I can, the Lord God identifies with me. He doesn't just, he doesn't just know, like, you know, philosophically about what I've experienced, right? He knows my, what I've experienced. He experienced a lot of the same. Jesus Christ experienced trauma, Aaron. You know, like yeah. I mean, that's that's unbelievable to me. It's it's uh, it's almost scandalous. So, if there's a person out there, if you're going through trauma, you know, or, or you've been through trauma, what you should know is that the the amazing thing about God is that He was not content. To, to, to just try to come around and pick up the pieces for you after you've gone through that. He experienced it himself. Uh-huh. He experienced it himself. He went through the same stuff that you and I go through so that, so that we can know him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's beautiful, okay? And, uh, and is, that's the reason I'm a Christian, you know? Uh, our God's not sitting up on some cloud somewhere, you know? watching all of this happen. He, he, he knows he's been through it. He's, he's experienced it all. And I'm not alone, even in those darkest and most painful moments of my life, I'm not alone, right? My God has experienced that. He knows what it's like. He's been through it, you know? So that's the first thing. And then the other thing is the, the forgiveness and the, the grace of God, which we talk about all the time. But I think maybe, maybe those of us who have felt like super, like felt like a failure and felt unworthy and felt like we've let people down, you know, maybe those of us who that's our particular strain of brokenness, you know, the, the grace of God is such a beautiful thing for us, you know, to know that he loves us in spite of our failure, in spite of our weakness and, and in spite of even things that we are calling weakness and failure that aren't even weakness and failure. (laughs) He still loves us us in spite of all that. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing too. So, uh, I want for our listeners to know that too, that the, the love of God is passionately pursuing you. I know that because and, it did me, you know, pursued me. And I, I want to just say it, uh, along that same vein that mm-hmm. if there's someone that's listening that wants to speak up about their experience, mm-hmm. to begin to open themselves up to hearing themselves say these things that have happened or whatever, yeah. but if if it just so happens that the first person who they speak to says, I don't know why that's a problem. Right. To not stop there because stop. there are going to be, there are going to be people who are naysayers or who mm-hmm. think that you ought to be just fine. But you know what? There's also going to be people who say, come, mm-hmm. come and let me help you. Yeah. Come to me. There's all- not anything wrong with you. Yeah, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> That's the words of our Savior, and yeah. 
and 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 he's going to provide that for us when we when we come to him he will provide that for us and it and it it's almost always in the form of another person you know he always leads us to people right yes yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) so that's uh, that's the other amazing thing about the way the lord works you know he's you know he could he could you know just uh, speak a word and heal trauma in our lives. He chooses not to do that, right? He chooses to do it in relationship with other people because that's not just profound for me as I heal. It's also profound for the person that God is using in my life to produce healing. And uh, yeah, and we yeah. live we live in community that way, and it's it's good, and it's beautiful. So, man. Well, gosh, Aaron, thanks for, uh, I think this is really helpful. Look, I don't know if it was helpful for anybody else. It was helpful for me because I needed that. I needed that conversation. I realized some things about myself, like as we were talking, that's why you're so, <laughs> you're so good at this. We were supposed to be doing a podcast and you're doing therapy on me. And I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, Sometimes I can't help it. Yeah, no, it's good. I, that's a, that's a wonderful thing that God called you to do this, equipped you to do it. So, yeah. uh, and you're good at it and I appreciate you very much. Um, and thank you all, uh, all of you who, who've joined us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And just, just know Aaron and I, um, we both, uh, are, are, you know, we're just praying for anybody who might be listening to this. And, uh, and as this podcast kind of makes its way out there into the world, we're going to be praying, praying for, for you specifically. Um, and, and, you know, we, gosh, we don't know who you are, what you're dealing with, but, uh, but our, our, our God does know. And so we're lifting you up and we're praying for you. And we pray that we pray that, uh, that you'll reach out and you'll seek help because um, mm-hmm. we all need it at some point. So, Hey, even therapists have therapists. Exactly. Just saying. In fact, <laughs> listen, pastors and therapists are two people who need therapists, you know, as much more than anybody. I just listened. This is totally bonus, but I just listened to this podcast. You'll find this fascinating. I listened to this podcast the other day and it was always oh, this American life. And they, they did this episode called Death and Taxes. And so what this lady did was she went, she went in the first part of this episode, she went to um, and, uh, and interviewed hospice nurses. And she was, because they see death all the time. And so she was talking to them about, she recognized whenever, you know, someone that was close to her was dying, she recognized how good they were at dealing with people in this and at dealing with people who were suffering from it and at the families. And she was like, wow, I just want to know I just want to get to know these people. But, yes, uh, they are amazing people. But one thing that was interesting that they said, this, this is what, what you said made me think of this. Um, there was this one lady that she was talking to who, who one day, uh, all of a sudden, she couldn't remember who the president of the United States was. And she couldn't remember it. She was thinking, thinking, trying. And she got worried. What, maybe something you know, wrong. And she went and talked to her supervisor. And he said, oh, no, that, that happens to people all the time here. Because... Your your brain is having to put things away in compartments sometimes because it's so hard and it's so painful and sometimes it accidentally puts something away that you're not supposed to put away you know and then you have to try to go get it back you know but uh, but yes people who are in helping professions nurses uh, pastors counselors um, social workers yes I mean mm-hmm. um, we 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 need to have regular. Uh, meetings with with counselors because what we deal with a lot of times is tr- is trauma, and uh, and there is such a thing as vicarious trauma. Oh gosh, yeah, don't, don't I know it? I don't, mean, you yeah, know, I, be just I was the dean of students at Wayland for four years, and I, I, 
and probably because I'm super empathetic anyway, but I, it was vicarious trauma every day. Like I felt like, you know, so, so I know there's folks who are listening because we have a lot of folks who are healthcare professionals in our, in our church. And I know yeah. there are folks that are listening who, and, and look, can we be honest? Can we be real too for a second? Like being in healthcare the past couple of years has just been, you know, what about teachers, you know, being, uh, teaching in the public school district this year, uh, you know, the past couple of years have been really hard, really traumatic. And students yes. that you're dealing with are dealing with all kinds of trauma out there. So, look, we say all that to say that I know there's a, fo- a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast that, um, that you know, that you're, you've got some crazy weird stuff going on in your heart right now. And, and there's some feelings that are happening that you can't control or that you don't understand. You're not alone. And there is help. There is help. So uh, we're yes. going to, uh, Waypoints Counseling, there'll be a link to Waypoints in the, in the show notes. If you'd like to reach out to Waypoints and contact them uh, for counseling, you can do that. Um, you can also call the church. We have a, you know, we got a list of folks that we keep here because, you know, there's different things if, if we're dealing with addiction, if we're dealing with, you know, uh, different things. So we have a list of folks that we keep on file here. We'd be happy to refer you uh, to someone that way too. But whatever you do, don't just sit, don't just sit in it. Don't, don't try to stiff up or yeah. lip it and think I'm just going to deal with this myself. Uh, I can tell you from a, my personal experience, I've seen where that ends and it's not good. Okay. It's not good at all. I've been there and uh, it's mm-hmm. not a happy place. So uh, reach out and get some help. Um, there is, there is help and healing available out there and, and there is help and healing available in Christ Jesus. And we want to walk with you and help you however we can. So, all right. Thanks again. Amen Aaron. to that. Appreciate you joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was you fun. Bet. You bet. Thanks for tuning in to First Things First. We want to invite you to join us for worship this Sunday at First Shallow Water. You can find us at 703 Avenue J in Shallow Water, Texas. Our Sunday morning service starts at 1030 a.m. Click on the link in the description of this episode for more information about our church or if you'd just like to reach out to us. Check out the previous episodes of this podcast. Make sure you do that. We really have had the privilege of hearing some amazing stories. And make sure you check back each week for a new episode. Until then, we'll see you around town.